to bring you our new topic, but before we delve into all the juicy details, my name is Omieka, or Yeka O, and with me are my amazing co-hosts. You guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Ifeolua Ife, for short. My name is Ifeolua. And um, if you haven't guessed, Amaya hasn't joined the conversation yet, but she will be with us, so don't worry about that. However... We do have two guests on our show. This is our first time having guests on the show. Um, do you guys want to tell us who you are and just a little bit of what you, about what you do? Okay, I'm A. Timmy, and I run an online magazine called Ayiba. That's A-Y-I-B-A. I'm Kunle. I'm a, I work in Lazarus from New York City. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining our show today. Shall I tell people how I know our guests? Yeah. yeah. We're all friends. Yeah. We're all friends. So, I know Amy from college. Amy, Ife, and Wa and I went to Mahalia College together, so we know <clears throat> each other from college. Then, Kunle went to Amherst College, which is the next town over, or two towns over. And our colleges are part of a consortium, and we're Nigerian, so we definitely, the friendship was about <laughs> to happen, yeah? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. so Sounds good. Anything interesting happen over the week for you guys before we delve into the topic at hand? Okay, my week, this is Ifeolua who I'm speaking to Ife. My week was good. I went home to the motherland for the holidays and that was wonderful. I hadn't been home, hadn't been in Nigeria for four years. So it was, everything felt the same, but different. You know, that weird feeling you're like, ah. So much has changed, but so much has remained the same. But it was good. It was good. It was a good mm. time to be back. I was always hot and thirsty, and not in the metaphorical <laughs> sense. I was literally always sweating and always wanting a glass of water. But it was good times. And I and I and I got to see Amaya for like ten minutes, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was nice. Charles and Aiden wanna. Kunle and Aiden, you see this confusion in my mind. Kunle and Aiden, do you want to show us how your week went? My my holidays were nice. I was starting into my new apartment, Mm. but I was going to mention that the tension over whether I should be called Kunle or Charles is a great Afropolitan dilemma. Mm, I know, that's true. Anything else fun happen? Aiden. Um, for me, I just got back to Canada. I was in New York over the break. Um, I'm in Canada right now doing a master's program. So it was my first week back. This is the last semester of classes. Just been busy with that. And also, Ayuba is doing an anniversary print issue. So I was working on that the past few days. And I do not regret going into digital publishing because print publishing is such a pain. Yeah, I mean, my week, well, my last week was okay. I got back to work, um, started working on the syllabus for the class I'm teaching, and um, let's see, what else happened? Nothing, really. I just, like, slept a lot, which, you know, I needed for this coming semester. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, 
Oh, it's about to be real. But yeah. Okay. We will now transition to our topic, which you've probably heard as we've been talking, is on Afropolitanism, which is a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Um, But the general idea is stems from Afro and cosmopolitan. Um, So cosmopolitan means person of the world, not like limited to one area and then afro meaning african but um so i guess it would be an african who is not necessarily confined to their country of origin um and sees themselves as a person of the world anybody want to add anything to that definition based on what we've read this is ife speaking i'm just going to add that it was a term coined by Taya Selassie, who's an author and she has different backgrounds. So she is, her mom is Ghanaian, her dad is Nigerian, or is it the other way around? She was born in the UK, but spent most of her formative years in the US. So she is, by definition, by the Afro, by definition, Afropolitan with her, with her different worldviews. And I just want to give props she is a woman and she's coined such a very I don't know if it's controversial, controversial. yeah controversial <laughs> well used term so yeah and actually just to add on to that this is if you are speaking I actually came across an article well an interview of Tejuko where he actually responds saying that well he doesn't think that Tai Selassie like says she coined it but mm. rather, it's more appropriate to say that she popularized it and not necessarily mm. claimed it. That okay. she doesn't really claim to have, yeah, made up the word. Okay. Just throwing that out there. But while I was doing the reading for um this week's conversation, it was very interesting. Because I always felt like, essentially what Anika said, I always thought that's what Afropolitanism meant. Mm-hmm. But then to read um, some articles um that pose certain arguments against Afropolitanism, it, sem- it seems like... Mm. I idea of what Afropolitanism meant wasn't what other people thought it was. Because essentially, I did think it was essentially like a more inclusive language of someone who has, I guess, some ancestry in Africa, like, but has other connections to other geographical locations and, and something along those lines, like inclusive language to like include other subcultures that Africans might have. Whereas I was reading some articles and it seems like those oh, people would describe it as product driven and elitist mm-hmm. and commodification. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought this was just an, something about identity, but it seems like there's more to it than what I thought. That's a good segue to the question, what does Afropolitanism mean to you? Does anybody want to start out by saying that? If anyone is basically just giving us our answer. Anybody else? This is Anika. Um, so initially what I had, when I had heard it, it was related to like fashion, um, or some blog or something like that. And I just always wondered like, okay, so I guess Afro cosmopolitan, whatever it was that I said earlier. Um, but then the more I started to do research into it, it it's just like now to me, it's almost kind of like, um, the new single story, I would say, for Africa, where it's like combating this Afro-pessimistic ideology that we're all poor and all poverty-stricken or whatever, and now Afropolitanism is this new 
front that we have that shows, hey, West, we're over here and we're pretty too. So that's kind of <laughs> where <laughs> what I think it is right now in my head. Yeah, that's that's profound. Um, I think that like when the per- word first came out, it was with Taya Selassie that I heard it first, and the way she described it, I thought it was an intriguing idea. I don't necessarily identify as an Afropolitan, mm-hmm. but then I'm not going to take offense if people do. I think mm-hmm. the word has evolved, as Ifi said. When it started out, it was just to kind of identify yourself within a larger context, and now it's kind of moved into consumerism and people associate it with negative things and elitism. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're trying to understand Afropolitans, it only makes sense in a Western context. That's why some of the reading was really interesting to me. Because, yeah, the only reason you would call yourself an Afropolitan is when you are in a Western context to try and explain who you are. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to understand it as an African, then I think that's when people start to take offense and mm-hmm. um, see the negative aspects of it. This is Amaya speaking. <laughs> so I think for me, Afropolitanism, well, after reading the article that were recommended for this uh, session, first of all, there is no way I can identify, I, I, I don't think I can identify as an Afropolitan. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, some of the articles say, okay, fine, um, the Africans that you come across that have you know, the partial accent and maybe the American or British who have traveled and it's just that term that I've always wanted, I've always looked for to describe many people that I've met either in the States or ever have traveled who, um, you know, claim to be Nigerian or Ghanaian or Ethiopian but haven't either lived there or, you know, they travel to or they have from so many other places and they have so many different accents and so many experiences and stories, but they still like hold their African roots mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. dear to their hearts, which I've always found very interesting because you know, like even even when you've never actually lived in in Ghana or South Africa, you still want to claim that, like hold on to that you know root. And I I, I mean, something that I really envy, uh, and I'm happy that you know, at least like I have a friend for them now. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like, I mean, there's a lot to it. It's, it's, it's diversity, it's culture, um, it's, it's a celebration I mean, for Africans all over the world. Kumi, do you want to tell us what Afropolitanism means to you? Sure, I think with every term out there or every new idea, as as more people take ownership of it, it changes. It requires like more 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 layers. So mm. there's definitely the layer of Afropolitans referring to the set of people who are comfortable not only in Africa but in some to have a mixture of African and Western identity mm-hmm. and a sort of floating, if you will. Mm. But that, then there's also the the influence of capitalism in that mm-hmm. Afropolitan has become sort of a a layer of commercialism. So here's the the dress you would buy from H and M, but which now has some sort of Kenyan print on it, mm-hmm. and so okay, qualifies as Afropolitan. Um, we were at Afropunk together, and we saw how many dashikis there were in evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's definitely a a trend. So I think generally it it will it will take on several layers. So 
I've like with any idea, there's a thesis, there's an antithesis, and eventually we'll find some synthesis somewhere where when when the term will get a more stable meaning. To me, Afropolitanism means somebody or an Afropolitan is somebody who has some ties to the continent, some place in the continent. Basically, tied to Lassie's description is an accurate description where she says you have some ties to the continent, maybe is a city, maybe it's your mother's kitchen or your grandmother's Eforiro that you eat, something <laughs> that ties you to the continent. And you also have an experience of living in a different, in a way city if you will at first like many of you i considered it a nice way you know it's a good feeling when you're like ah i'm not just african no, i'm afropolitan it's like you know i'm also exposed i'm exposed to western cultures i've lived in a western city but i'm also very african and i have this nuanced and cultural worldview you know i'm cultured so it was definitely I knew from the get-go that it was elitist because, like Amy said, it is an identity that was developed with the Western gaze in 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 mind. Does anybody in Songwata care whether you're an Afropolitan or not? You know, nobody, nobody in the chorus of Bariga cares that you're an Afropolitan. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that was my, that's been my experience with, with the term Afropolitanism and Afropolitan. Yeah, this is the thing you want to hear. And I, I think when I heard, uh, Ty's, uh, talk, TED talk, I thought, oh, you know, that's cute, Afropolitan. Like Amaya said, I don't identify with it at all. <laughs> and, you know, because, and I don't, I think this goes back. We, sometimes we want to make things digestible for other people. And mm. like somebody said earlier, like the Western gaze. We don't want to take that, and this goes back to our conversation on identity, just trying to make it digestible and like present our identity in bite-sized pieces for, for, for Westerners that we come across. It's like, oh, how do I like take the time to tell you that I'm not as simple as you think I am? Like you mm-hmm. see that I'm brown skinned and you assume immediately that I'm from one place or you just make certain assumptions on how I look. Yeah. So I thought it was, you know, cute, but not for me, but hey, if it's for some other people, that's great. I have a question. So the people that go around saying, oh, me, I'm an African. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't, this is Onyeka, by the way. I don't think people might necessarily go around saying I'm Afropolitan, but it's just kind of like a sense of like, you still like Judenna, for example, like you can see Judenna and be like, oh, he's, he's Afropolitan. This is what the Westerners do, because I don't know any, Nigerian or Kenyan, they'll look at someone and be like, oh yeah, you're Afropolitan. I think it's, like we've all said, it's more of what the West sees. I would definitely say it's more of a near than it is uh, a fully formed identity. So I think it's, it's, it's a way to describe a product more than it is mm-hmm. an actual product. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like it's that. a review on Amazon rather than <laughs> the, 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 the park you're buying. Right, right. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is the thing when I think in theory or I guess initially it's Ty introduced the term as like an identity descriptor or whatever. But I guess in spoken form or in verbal or written form, especially like in magazines, like Kumli said it's to describe a product or to describe fashion. For example, I think in one of the articles there's an example of like 
and wine mojitos. So we've been talking about what Afropolitanism means to us and all of that, and some of the good things mm-hmm. about it. What What are the things, what are your qualms with the term Afropolitanism? We've read some articles that are very critical of the term. What do you think of the arguments? What are the arguments that stop stop with you? What do you want to add? I mean, I'd be interested to hear what some people think the qualms are. But when I was reading it, I just felt like they were describing our generation more mm-hmm. than the idea of being Afropolitan. I think mm-hmm. we are a very consumerist generation. I think whatever sector you look at, we're always trying to monetize something and commodify it. I don't think it boils down to Afropolitans in doing that. And with every culture or subculture, you need to have aesthetic identifiers. So if I wear a dashiki and that helps you know that I want to maybe strike up a conversation about Africa or it just lets people know who you are by how you look. And so a market has developed for that. I don't necessarily see it as a negative. This is Onyeka and I I see that point. One of the things that definitely stuck out to me I think it was in the exercising Afropolitanism by um, Santana, and she was saying how it's not just about commodifying something or saying, oh, he, here is African style in the Western format. It's it's the fact that for some people, they're attempting to use the style as some political innuendo. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's like the political part of what they're trying to put out is like, woven into this whole hey we're African but we're also you know full of life and I mean there's just there's a little hint of political innuendo there and it's like if you want to come out and say hey we're not just poor people you can come out and say it and you don't have to you know cover it up with all these you know chain take cloth and tribal prints or whatever it is and so that's one thing that she said that really stuck out to me um, that I think a lot of people do it I'm like if, if you're going to come out and say hey you know, this is who we are, and this is what we represent. You don't have to do it in, I don't know, a head wrap. Mm. I'm going to, this is, this is the test. <laughs> I'm going to piggyback or maybe push back. I don't know what's the word, I can't find the word that I'm looking for right now. But the, the thing, a lot of political movements have aesthetic features. So like for example the black power movement, the, the aesthetic feature was, you know, the black fist, the Afros, the black is beautiful message, the you know, the Black Panthers looked really cool with their black and their berries and all of those things. So like political movements have typically have aesthetic features. So I don't think Afropolitanism having aesthetic appeal or aesthetic identifiers is necessarily a bad thing. I think for me, what's what's it, what distinguishes the Black Power movement or the Pan African movement from Afropolitanism is that the the core of it is a political message. So the core right. of it is not so oh, we're we're fashionable or this is cool style. The core of it mm-hmm. is that this is what we want to change. This is our message, right. and this is what our message looks like in visual form that's the thing i don't think it is i don't think it like started as a movement yeah i don't think it's like i don't think people are fighting for me to legit i mean i don't know i just think it's just this point like like charles said okay and amazon is 
<laughs> no, but I think don't you don't you guys think that that whole Afropolitan vibe though is becoming this like the new single story? Like we're not poor, we're fashionable, we're high class, we do all these things. So I mean, to some extent, it is painting some political message, but that's not necessarily. So if you think of the Black Panthers, the first thing I don't think about is oh they had buried on. Oh, no, I wasn't thinking about that. I, I think about what they actually did. You know, like what the actual movement is. So when someone buys a kente bag, they're buying a kente bag. They're not necessarily thinking, oh, Africans are the most fashionable people in the world. I don't mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. Do. If, if um, I could add to that as well, I think you've mentioned the single story. I think the problem isn't even a problem with Afropolitanism in itself. It's the fact that the world, even us Africans, always seem to only have space for one mm, story about yeah. Africa. So, yeah. Whether it's Afro, Afro-pessimism, whether it's Afropolitanism, we, we just need to figure out that there's no one movement that can actually mm-hmm. tell all our stories. Right. And my rule of thumb is anything that starts with Africa trying to um, group all Africans together is, it's just something you have to be careful of because there's, I don't think there's any way you can tell one story that fully explains the continent. And in response to that, Charles, though, because one article, some a couple of those articles do bring up Pan-Africanism. And a lot of them said, you know, I don't, see, that's the other thing. It's like, why do you have to compare? But, it, you know, they, they come, tried to compare both and they said Pan-Africanism seems more stable. It seems more deeper. It seems more intellectual and um, more political as opposed to like Afropolitanism. It seems shallow and fashion-driven and product-driven and somewhat exclusive. Yeah, I think the the reason for those differences is is mm-hmm. just the, the political situations in which they came up. So Pan-Africanism yeah. is pushing mm-hmm. back against political domination of Africa by mm-hmm. Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Europe and yeah. the United States. So definitely its first its first manifestation or its primary concern will be politics and yeah. and government. What we are seeing now in the 21st century, neocolonialism is the economic and cultural domination of Africa by the West. So that's yeah. what Afropolitanism is pushing back against. Mm. That's, so I, yeah, I think they're trying, they're trying to solve for two different yeah. ways that a problem can manifest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like Afropolitanism isn't necessarily a political thing though. Mm-hmm. I think it might just be more of a social movement, like where it creates a community, it forms this collective abroad where you know I'm not alone. I can reach out to other people who are African and who share a similar story to how I came up. I don't necessarily think that the Afropolitan movement is political. This is if I agree with A. Tammy, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be political. And same thing Charles said, there's room for different different stories and different versions of promoting, different ways of promoting Africa and making us visible. So Afropolitanism can well be about fashion and style and seeing how beautiful the continent is and how creative her people are and all of that. Then And Pan-Africanism can be about strengthening our African ties, African ties within ourselves on the continent with people in the diaspora. So there's definitely room for all of these schools of thoughts. I just feel like there was a point when 
growing up abroad, you weren't proud to be African, right? Because it wasn't that cool. Like, maybe if you were African-American, that was cool. If you were Jamaican, like, that's always cool. But there was a point that growing up African wasn't cool because people didn't mm. know anything about this thing. So with, like, the African-American and these high achievers, they're saying, you know, we're here, we're doing these things. Look at our continent, it's growing. Um, consider traveling to Africa. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And obviously with media, as Charles said, they're going to want to show one side. Once you give them something positive, they're going to be like, oh, Africa rising. We had you know, a few years of all those headlines. But if that's not necessarily negative, because as much as people know the already know the negative things, let them know a bit of the positive, even if it's just one one story each time. Hey, Timmy, if you don't mind, if I can just respond to, to you there. So, I think that clearly, yeah, it, the, the benefits of the promotion of Africa's cool again, or Africa, you know, that the African identity is something that can be worn with pride. But is that a, is that one step along a path that just ends with cultural appropriation of mm-hmm. the way sort of extracting everything pretty and catchy about your culture mm-hmm. without actually bothering to inculcate your deeper values without bothering to to is it a way to avoid actually dealing with the african identity you know you you are we just thinking cool we can ask this nice lady oh you're from Ghana, that's why you have a tent hair ball gown or whatever but we're not asking her <laughs> how exactly a father being an immigrant has affected Right. housing, education, and income, and all of these choices and opportunities that she gets, we can just deal with her on the level of, oh, nice dress, and move mm-hmm. on. Sometimes people say you want to stick with being superficial. You can even ask deeper questions like, what does this signify in your land, or what is right. the history behind this? I have a quick question. This is Onyeka, and like I've just been wondering about this for a while. So if you listen to a lot of, say, for example, Nigeria, because that's what I know, a lot of Nigerian artists, when they're, you know, on a red carpet or being interviewed or whatever, and they, they ask them, like, what's the next step for you? A lot of them are like, well, you know, we just want to break into, you know, the international market, you know, the Western market. And my question is, why, like, why is there this huge inkling? I know profit is great or whatever, but what is this huge draw? For us to want to be more like the West, enough of the West to be more like us. Like, why is why is there just that like one pull towards? I'm telling you, I sat down and listened to um, what was it? Danny TV, there was a show yesterday, and I'm just like, what? Is, every single person, I'm trying to break into, you know, the American market. I'm trying to break into the American market. I'm like, what's uniquely you? What do you bring to the table? Like, why why are you trying to be like them? Can I say something? Breaking into the Western market, that one was probably profit driven. And I mean, everybody wants, I think it's just a way of also putting Nigeria or Ghana or Africa on the map. So you're breaking into the American market. You're introducing Nigerian music into America. I don't think that has to be, I don't think it's them trying to be like the West. I think it's just them trying to spread, you know, their brand or their music across the world. I don't think I mean I get I get what you're saying. I, there, are, there are cases of people and many people who want to be like the West, many people want to be like the West. If I can add to that, I think, I think part of the problem is also that 
a lot of the ways we relate with media and um, economics, uh, businesses, all of them are framed by the West. So you're always going to look at the Western market because that's your conditioning of how, of what a market really is. We haven't really come to terms in Africa with building our own institutions. So mm-hmm. I think a big takeaway for me from listening to all of you is that we really need to think more deeply about a lot of issues, a lot of happenings on the continent. And Afropolitanism, thankfully, is making us, the five or six of us right now, think about a lot of that. And we need to find some way of deeply interrogating a lot of the ways we're, we're being, we're relating with our identity, in other words. Just to respond to Onyeka's question, but also push back on what Amaya said, I think it's not just artists trying to break, you know, bring attention to Nigeria or like, maybe it's that, it's, it's that, but I think it's bigger than that. Because just to draw on what Charles said, it's, I think in general, like the West is such a huge, force it's such a big force and how we relate to the west politics you know economics or whatever it spills into other areas such as entertainment like we're always looking to the west like in politics or whatever it is as for allyship or or whatever and that also spills into entertainment it also spills into like our fashion Dabiri was saying in her article that afropolitanism is pretty much producing African flavors of Western conventions. And I think, you know, that that spills into so many areas of our life, like education, and we're always looking to the West as the standard. And even, like, for example, like, Nigerian music, for the longest time, we were, our sounds were trying to be, I don't know, I was listening to some Nigerian songs, I was like, why are we saying nigger? Really, <laughs> for real. Like, you know, there's some things that we do because we're trying to copy the West, and we talked about this in our holiday episodes, like having Christmas trees. Like, there's so many things that we do with the Western gate in mind, and that, like, obviously spills into so many areas of our, like, our lives as Africans. I agree with you. Like, this past Christmas, um, we were playing some YouTube playlists of Nigerian music, and, um, we got to a song I've never heard it before. My cousin, who I mean, he's been to Nigeria like twice, and he's like, "Is this supposed to be like Nigerian trap music?" And I was like, "You know, come to think of it, you're so right. Like, it literally sounds like I don't know. It literally sounds like that." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I just want to say this is the thing. I don't want to knock on Nigerian music because we've been doing some great things that I really love. Like, I think now more recently we've grown more comfortable with." infusing like our languages and our songs like IBAC by Dr. Sid and like you know other songs that I you know can't remember right now but I think and even like uh what's his name final you know yeah. just rapping in Igbo you know it's just it's beautiful I love it and I think what like wants to be beautiful is you know if they are really trying to break into the western market they can do so by saying so in the Yes. So, I mean, they're trying to break into the Western market, but they're not trying to break into the Western standards. Like, that's what I was trying to say. They're mm-hmm. able to do that by sticking with, you know, their roots or whatever, how African they are. I think that would be what, like, that would be beautiful. People are able to appreciate Nigerian music for what it actually is or what it should be. Hmm. Great, great conversation, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any last thoughts, uh, Kunle, 
Why did the guests have to say last word? <laughs> okay, you don't guess. You don't have to say last thoughts. I just wanted to give you guys a chance to talk because you guys were quiet for for a bit. No, generally, I think we we've all we've gone all over the spectrum, and I think it's it's difficult because there are issues here that take more than a generation to address. So it's always tough to make people do things where they won't they might not reap the results. It's going to be tough to convince any Afropolitan that it's actually more important that well, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to say more important, but that it might be better for for them to also present other stories hmm. about Africa. Right. And that doesn't alienate them from their Western identity or their you know their their work, their lives in, in London or New York. But it's a sacrifice, it's something tough. I don't know it's I don't know how easy it will be to make more people do that. But I guess that's the next movement. Instead of mm-hmm. Afropolitanism we'll have what's the what's a good um <laughs> Latinate word for village? Afro village cosmopolitan, but we're trying to be as authentic as possible. Mm. I like that. Going off of that, um, Chino Achebe said, um, the reason the hunter is always victorious, um, over the lion is that the lion doesn't have a storyteller. Um, so we're only hearing the story of the hunter. Um, and I, think, I don't know, he's a deep deal. Um, I think that that's very important, especially now that we don't just show the Afropolitan side, the rich, classy part of Africa. Because I mean, there are parts of Africa where, you know, Nigeria, for example, like, Having that internet struggle, that's real, you know. <laughs> and then places where it's not even, you know, it's worse. So I'm long and short of the story. There's so many fairs to our continent, and I think we're doing it a huge disservice if we're only focusing on one story versus the other story. There's so much, and tell as many stories as we can. And actually, now that you said that, it just brought to mind like one of the arguments posed, which is that. Afropolitanism is essentially the narrative of the privileged few, which I don't know. It kind of made me, it kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit. But then I was like, I think I get what you're saying. But at the same time, it's I don't know. It's this. Can I just go off what you're saying? I kind of understand how you feel, but at the end of the day, that is some people's reality, and just because it's privileged doesn't make it unauthentic. They're just mm-hmm. trying. It's like Afropolitan, even though I don't identify as one. Yeah. It's just their way of expressing themselves and they should have the freedom to evolve with the, the term as they see fit. And as long as at the end of the day, the whole point of the movement is to create awareness for Africa, let people know what's happening on the continent and show their pride. I just, I don't really have a problem with it. If it's our generation's way of trying to stay relevant in a global world, then that's fine. It's their reality. And those who aren't as privileged have a story to tell as well and have the opportunity to do it. Hey, Timmy, I, I would say we shouldn't just rest on our laurels of being able to have like a story because it's tough. I, when you come, when you compare the, the cultural capital that Afropolitans have of imposing their, mm. you know, their paradigm of, of of African identity, mm. as opposed to people, um, other Africans who don't have that 
savoir faire who don't have the economic leverage to, mm-hmm. you know, be featured in Tatler and talk about where they eat or be on Instagram and post their outfits of the day. So we need to think about how the very nature of being economically privileged gives you advantages. We don't need to knock down Afropolitanism. I think we just need to make space mm. for other Africanisms. And that's something we do like with Aiba, with my magazine. I do have a section that's called My Afropolitan Diary. I have other sections that talk about being proudly African, people who are from Lesotho and Cape Verde, countries that not a lot of people know about. That mm-hmm. are saying, okay, I've lived all my life in Lesotho and this is what it's like. So I think, yeah, you definitely have to have balance, but at the same time, we shouldn't try and deconstruct what already exists. We should just build on it. Mm-hmm. I think my problem with this is the fact that we're dwelling on the I, I, don't, I don't really see, like, okay, so I'm saying that, yes, apopolitanism usually comes with privilege, or sometimes it does, but I think that's not mostly what it's about. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, there are many people who I would consider apopolitans, they may not even have, you know, that sort of privilege that, you know, I don't know, if you travel to Europe, live here, and this, that, that, that. They are just people who may have Nigerian or Ghanaian or Ethiopian roots. Um, their parents have somehow settled and found their way in New Jersey, and they are still trying to hold on to their African roots. So I, I don't know. It's just I don't really think privilege is important. I agree with you, Amaya. I think what the media pushes out to us as Afropolitan is that extreme. Those people in Tatler who drive Bentleys in London. Mm-hmm. and call yeah. themselves Afropolitan, but there's so many more people that could be classified as Afropolitan. Like me, maybe people think I could be, but I don't necessarily identify because I see that extreme and I don't believe I'm there. Um, One or, thing, another thing, I know I'm really stretching, but one thing that I think we kind of haven't really talked about too much are the real Afropolitans, like the people who actually came here in the 60s and the 70s who are like who paved the way for all the other Afropolitans? Mm. So shout out to Kwame Nkrumah and all our parents and grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, now that we're t- sorry, this is thing. And now that we're talking about this, now it just made me think of um someone who she made like a side comment about like how there are a lot of Africans like in the higher education system, in especially in the states. Mm-hmm. And how like a lot of universities and like grad school programs are dominated by Africans. And she mentioned like, oh, there are quite a few Nigerians. Like she's seen quite a few Nigerian names. And I was thinking like, hmm, I guess we have this kind of good now as compared to like a couple of years ago, where I feel like that would not. That's that was probably not the case. Mm-hmm. I feel like more Africans are being admitted now into like universities and colleges and grad school programs. And I wonder. I wonder if we will have any sort of pushback on that with, you know, the rise of Trumpisms and other, mm. you know, xenophobic, xenophobic movements across the world. Mm. Yeah, I, I wonder how those will, will, will change Afro, Afropolitanism because when you start thinking, oh, to be American, you have to show descent from the Mayflower 
or you know you have to be white and Christian. Mm. That does that? How does that validate or invalidate the identities of Afropolitans who have that mixture of Western and African heritage? That's a good question. So we usually we typically wrap up our episodes by telling our listeners what we're reading, watching, listening to, and yeah. This is A. Timmy. Um, with my master's program, I'm studying digital experience innovation. So I've been watching a lot of science fiction, so mm-hmm. Minority Report, and reading about design fiction. Um, this is Amayo. I'm currently reading a book. Speaking about things to judge me when I saw yeah. each book, when I say each book, I'm reading. So I got this book in March of last year, and I started reading it, and I just was reading it. So now I'm still reading this book called All the Lights You Cannot See. I, I got to put it beside me last year at the left of the bookmark. Oh my god! Today. Wow. So I'm still reading it. Hopefully by this time, by next year, I'll be done with this book because it's a really good book. I recommend it so far. 55 pages. six pages of read. But it's okay, Maya, I understand you. I started reading the book and then I stopped. It's a good book, like it just takes dedication and commitment. Um, I'm Kunle, I just read Modern Romance, the Aziz Ansari guide to how to text a girl or how to ghost. <laughs> what? Ghost. Wow. I is not texting a person you're interested in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I heard it's a good book, though. Well, you know how that works out for you. Yes. I know. Um, modern romance, <laughs> I think the thesis of it is that in dating, as in everything else, we're overwhelmed by choice, and that sort of affects what we think we want, what we can be happy with, mm-hmm. and how we, how, we, how we treat other people. This is Onyeka, and I am not necessarily reading anything right now um, because school's about to start um but i am however in the spirit of afropolitanism rewatching an african city uh which y'all it's like the supposed african sex in the city so yeah it's funny now that this is another you can mention that i'm thinking back to all the like um what's sugar and which other one there was one giddy up yeah this web series. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But how they portray Africa in the media? Yeah, speaking about that, because I remember when I watched Giddy Up, and that was right before I went back to Nigeria in 2014 for Christmas. And when I came back, I was very mad because I was like, that was not my series. <laughs> <laughs> they lied to me. <laughs> they lied to me. <laughs> I was very, very dry. But then again, my family, it's another story. Yeah, Ifeiwa is currently reading Cutting for a Stone by Abraham Bergesi. I think that's his name. A friend recommended it to me like four years ago and I finally got around to it. I just started reading it. And something I'm listening to that I can't get enough of is Stories That, that, Stories that Touch, an album by Fowls. I cannot get enough of this album. I just... Fowls, like, this album is just... Hundred of a hundred, essentially. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, soft words, Sute, um, Karashika, mm. everything. Okay. It's just 
Soja. Yeah. Yeah. I love the album. This is Ife speaking. Ife, why you stole my, what I'm listening to. I feel, I feel like that. <laughs> you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, you know what, just go for it. <laughs> I was jamming it all through traffic. My younger sister bought the album and we're just jamming it through our, through our holiday parole in Lagos and Nevada. So yeah, Spouses, Story That Touch is a very, very good album. I think my favorite Song is the KBAC one. That one that he goes KBAC to a snapback. I was like, yeah, yeah, from Can you hear that? Song? That's a Awesome. And it's also it's, it's the, the album is a wonderful blend of Afro beats. There's there's some Fuji and Akpala mixing there. There's some high life. There's some so jazzy. This um Chardonnay music. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Check out that Chardonnay music now. So it's a really good album. It's a wonderful blend of different musical influences. And Fowles is a correct guy. I think he's a correct singer, rapper, and he does this like Omo. I don't know if it's Omo Ta, but he does this fake bush accent that I love. Yeah. Like he's made being Raz cool, which is awesome. <laughs> like you wouldn't. Yeah, it's great. Then I'm listening, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading this book called The Dirty Life by Kristen Kimball. And it's a book about how this writer from New York City goes up to interview some man on a farm and they fall in love and she leaves New York and starts a farm with him. So it's basically about the startup year of a, of an organic full CSA farm. So they provide everything that you would need from meat and poultry and eggs to vegetable and grains and it's really it's it's made me have big mm. appreciation for farmers one of my one of my college classmates is working on a farm and i remember when we we were at reunion our two-year reunion and you know everybody's asking no what are you doing what are you doing so like oh i work on a farm and i think she was like a little shy about saying that she works on a farm and like reading that book made me just tell her I'm like you are amazing the work you're doing is amazing and I duff my hats to you so it's it's really you know how we have this well I I have this preconceived notion that you know people that work with their hands are not it's like it's different work and it's work that's not generally appreciated but it's, yeah. it's it's hard work and it takes like smarts it takes smarts for you to be able to know when to seal the land and when you know forecast when rain is going to come and you know it's just it's wonderful work and it's a very good book so i highly recommend well this has been fun first of all i'm happy i got to meet you there for the first time this month <laughs> first of all she bought me a microphone and it feels as in i was almost as good and yeah she's a real g so shout out to you. But also Aww. shout out to Onyeka, whose birthday is yeah. so, Happy birthday, Onyeka. And Ify. And Ify's birthday too. Oh, right? Right? I mean, I'm, mm, yeah, I was just waiting here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys hear this it would have already been our birthday so you know feel free to send us love yeah 
And you, you know what you said. <laughs> Just leave your P.O. box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us, Aitemi and Charles. This is amazing. Yes. Big shout out to Aitemi and Charles. Thank you. Thank you so much for having, for having us on the, on the show. It's really fun having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your input and your insights. Very, very helpful. Lots of deep thoughts. Remember to go online and check Aiba Magazine. Can you tell us the website, Aiting? Sure, it's www.aibamagazine.com. That's A-Y-I-B-A. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, Thank sure you. Thank you for coming, Aiting. Yep. Till next time, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to our episode of Not Your African Cliché. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Not Your African Cliche, just search our name or NYAC Podcast. And you can also find us on Twitter at NYAC Podcast, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and shout out to Femulea for providing our theme music as always. Thank you very much, yep. sir. And shout out to our guests. Me and Kunle for gracing us with their presence. I hope you guys listen and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all of that good stuff. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.